Oh, yeah, we had a great weekend last week. If you missed it, we had the opportunity uh, to baptize 73 people and just celebrate with them on their uh, faith in Jesus. It's why we exist as a church. Uh, We exist as a church where people can come and explore our faith in Jesus, and we give people the time and the space to, to do that. And, uh, you know, our goal as a church is to help all people believe and thrive in Jesus. And uh, this movement matters. This city church movement matters because we provide this safe community of grace where people can explore their faith. And so I I need to say a a few words to the city church folk, to the people who call city church their church. And so if you're new to church, you're still figuring out the church thing, the God thing, Jesus thing, you're not sure what you think about any of that. First of all, I want you to know you're welcome here. You're in the right community, Uh, but I do need to to talk to the city church folk about some family matters, okay? So if you'll give me a few minutes, and then we'll get into the message for the day. Now, uh, this city church movement is making an impact here in San Antonio, and uh, I'm excited about what God is doing here, and if you've been around for a while, you know that in 2019, we're very focused on becoming a people who live with purpose in every aspect of our lives, and I want to talk with you a little bit about living with purpose in the area of our finances. Uh, As I've shared with you the last few weeks, it takes about $75,000 a week for us to do City Church the way we do it, providing all of the services and programs that take place not just on the weekend, but throughout the week. And so if you call City Church your church, I'm asking you to join me on a journey, a generosity journey. And I'm asking you to take the next step of faith in that journey. And I have a visual that I think can help you understand what I'm talking about. So first, I want to speak to those of you who call City Church your church, but you've not given anything to the City Church movement. I want to ask you to take the step of faith to become a new giver, to give for the first time. You can give uh, in envelopes that we have in both lobbies. You can give online, or you can give at giving kiosks digitally. Now, if you've given something to the City Church movement, but you don't really give consistently, then I'm asking you to take the step of faith of becoming a consistent giver. And so this is what I'm asking you to do. Pray about what amount uh, that you and your family can give consistently to the city church movement. Pray about it. You know, let it be a step of faith. And then each time you get paid, give that amount. Now, if you're already a consistent giver, but you would say you're not really a significant percentage giver, then I'm asking you to become a percentage giver and to give 10% of what you make to the city church movement. The principle of giving 10% is found throughout the scriptures from Genesis all the way to Jesus as a way of expressing our faith in God and our trust in him to provide for us. And so I encourage, and I know this is, this is the big step, right, in the journey uh, to go from being consistent to being a 10%er. Uh, but I believe that God will surprise you with his blessing as you take this step of faith. And then if some of you would say, you know, pastor, I'm a 10 percenter. What's my step of faith? Well, your step of faith, I'm asking you to become a legacy giver. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider what kind of legacy you want to leave as a part of your involvement with the city church movement. And so this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray and to pay attention to God promptings. When God prompts you to give something above the 10 percent, either to some special need we have here at church Or maybe it's uh, to one of our social action partners. God lays something on your heart. I'm encouraging you to take that step of faith. Because I know no matter what step you take, I know for all of us it's a step of faith and it requires a sacrifice. 
But I do believe in the God of the blessing. I believe he will bless you as you take steps of faith. And when you give here, it matters because lives change here. People are believing in Jesus here. People are getting free here. People are learning to live their purpose here. And that matters. So I want to pray a blessing on you as, as you consider your step of faith and over the offering. And then we're going to get into the message for today. So Lord God, we do believe in you. We believe you are the God who provides. And as an expression of our faith, we take a step of faith. And we pledge to give generously to this movement. We pray, Lord, that you would bless not only us, but the offering as we give it. And I pray, Lord, that as we give, that you would not only bless us in the area of our finances, but also just our whole lives, our families and our relationships. And so, Lord, as we turn to this, uh, the message for today, I ask that you would bless me. I ask that you would fill me with your spirit. Give me clarity of mind and passion of heart as I speak today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, I mentioned to you that our church took a survey this fall. And in the survey, one of the questions of, of the church that we asked of you is, what are the issues that you wanted us to address as your church? And two of the top three issues that you asked us to address are the marriage relationship and romance and dating relationships. And, uh, and as I said earlier, this is a year where as a church, we, we want to live with purpose in 2019. And so today I'm kicking off a series where we're going to look at what the scriptures say about living purposefully in our marriage relationships and in our dating relationships. And I want to begin by asking a question to our married couples. How is your marriage going? What do you see ahead of you? Do you see bliss or do you see blech? <laughs> do you see closeness or do you see conflict? Do you see passion or do you see pain? You know, one of the frustrating aspects in my 30 plus years as a pastor has been seeing marriages that break up or that limp along in agony. And so many times I've heard couples say things like this. I don't know why our marriage is such a mess. I don't even know. I can't believe we've drifted so far apart. I can't believe she said she loves me, but she's not in love with me. And sometimes I just want to say, really? Really? You don't know how it happened? When you spent more time pursuing your career than your spouse and you didn't see it coming? Really? When you constantly spewed bitter, critical words at your spouse and you didn't see it coming? Really? When you talk more with your fantasy football buddies than you do with your wife and you didn't see it coming? Really? When you withheld sex to punish or control your husband and you didn't see it coming? Really? Well, I want to talk with you about real stuff, about your marriage relationship. I want to talk to you about how to build a good relationship because how many of you know good relationships don't just happen? It takes intentionality and it takes purpose. And so if you're married, I want to talk with you about how to bring purpose into your marriage relationship because let's just all be honest, it's complicated. It is complicated. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's the beauty of marriage, is learning how to face your complications together. 
I also want to speak to those who, uh, who are couples who are living together but who are not married. I want the chance to lead you toward God's vision for your relationship because I suspect that some of you are hesitant. You're hesitant about this whole marriage thing and, and I suspect it's because either you, you saw a dysfunctional marriage in your parents and you, you're just like, you're hesitant. You don't want nothing to do with that. Or maybe you, you experienced a dysfunctional marriage in your previous marriage, and now you're gun shy, and it's just made things complicated, right? I want the chance to renew your vision and your hope that a good marriage can happen, and you can be in it. And if you're single and dating, and you would, you would like to get married one day, uh, I want the chance to help you have a vision for how to pursue someone to marry and to eventually pursue marriage. Because I, I've heard from some of you that, you know, you would say, you know, Brent, this is complicated because I've been in one relationship and, and one bad relationship after another, and I'm not so sure I can have a good relationship. Guys are just jerks. Come on. I want to inspire you to believe that true love is possible and that a good marriage can happen. But it doesn't just happen. You have to pursue good relationships and good marriages on purpose. And so that's what this series is about. It's about living purposefully in our relationships. And so I want us to begin today by looking at what Jesus said was God's purpose for the marriage relationship. And through that lens to look at the implications on our dating relationships. All right, you ready? Let me set up the scene. Jesus was teaching to large crowds of people, and uh, he had been addressing, obviously, many times the marriage relationship, and there were some religious leaders who were listening to him called Pharisees. Can you say that with me? Pharisees. And they were trying to pick a fight with Jesus because they didn't like what he was saying about marriage, and in this case, divorce. And so they posed a question to pick a fight. You ready? Uh, this is uh, Matthew chapter 19. Verse 3, <clears throat> so some Pharisees came to him, to Jesus, to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, and this is a key, key phrase, for any and every reason? So it's clear here Jesus has been addressing marriage and conflict in marriage and differences in marriage, and some people, the answer for conflict in marriage is just, let's just bail on it, let's get divorced, and Jesus had been addressing that. And so what you need to know is that in Jesus' day, there were two schools of thought uh, in, in, in Judea where he lived. One school of thought says the only legitimate reason to get a divorce is for something really serious like sexual immorality or something like that. There was another school of thought that said, ah, oh, nah, you can get divorced for any and every reason, including if your wife loses her looks or, or if she ruins a meal. Now, something you need to know is that in Jesus' day, in his culture, only men could initiate a divorce. And so Jesus is really addressing men in his culture. And it's evident that what Jesus saw is that men were abusing and had such a low view of marriage that it was bringing pain into the lives mostly of women. They were facing abuse and marginalization in their society. Jesus was addressing it. The Pharisees didn't like it. And so they were trying to pick a fight with him. I say all that to say, notice Jesus' response. You ready? This is Matthew 19.4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. 
And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Did you notice what Jesus did there? He redirected their attention from addressing the reason why you could get a divorce to the purpose, the reason why God created the marriage relationship. And he made two points here, and they're so important. The first point that he made is that God created the marriage relationship. Humans didn't come up with the idea. God did. And did you notice? He said that God participates in it. He said God joins us together. Whenever you become married, God participates in that relationship. And here's what Jesus was saying to people in his culture, especially men who are abusing divorce. He was saying, God's involved in this relationship and God is for marriage. Jesus believed in marriage. And I'm asking you to believe in marriage too. So what do you believe about marriage? What you believe about marriage will impact your ability to live with purpose in a marriage. Because if if you had a bad experience, either by what you saw in your parents' marriage or maybe in a previous marriage, you may have a low view of marriage. In fact, sometimes I think what happens is when kids go through a painful divorce of their parents, what gets blamed is the institution of marriage. And so then what happens is what you believe about marriage impacts your ability to even consider it as a purposeful way of living your life, and so you avoid it. If you're single, you avoid it. If you're married, you're not likely to... Um, You're not likely to endure the seasons of challenge and crises that come into every marriage. Because if you have a low view of marriage, you will bail on it. And that's what Jesus was addressing here. What you believe about marriage matters. Now, Dr. Linda Wade is a professor of sociology at the University of Chicago. And she did extensive research on family relationships. And this is what she did. She compared married couples to Uh, singles, those who have been divorced, and to cohabiting couples, okay? So you got the the groups. And she published her findings in a book entitled The Case for Marriage. Her research found, this is so interesting, her research found that most people believe marriage is a bad deal, especially for women. Her research found that most people believe that singles have better relationships and better sex, Her research found that most people believe (laughs) that if one spouse is unhappy, it's better for everybody to divorce. Just call an end to it. But her research found the opposite to be true of each of these beliefs. She writes, married people live longer, have better health, earn more money, accumulate more wealth, feel more fulfilled, enjoy more satisfying sex, and have happier and more successful children than those who remain single, cohabit, or get divorced. That's just a fact. Now, please don't misunderstand Dr. Waite's words or Jesus' words. They're neither one saying that you can't have a purposeful, meaningful life as a single person. Jesus was a single person his whole life, and his life was super awesomely purposeful, right? And please don't misunderstand their words. Neither Jesus nor Dr. Wade are hammering people who have gone through the pain of a divorce. That is not their intention. But they are both saying marriage matters. A meaningful marriage is possible. 
They both believe in marriage. That's why she wrote a book called The Case for Marriage. Because she's addressing that in our society, too many people don't believe in marriage anymore. And she's saying the facts say otherwise. And so I'm asking you to believe in marriage too. Now, the second point Jesus makes, I want to go back to his statement, relates to the purpose of marriage. And I'm going to bring, go, go back to Jesus' words where Jesus said this. <clears throat> he said, for this reason, so he's getting to the purpose of marriage, right? Reason. Here's the reason. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. So Jesus said that God's purpose for the marriage relationship is that two people would become one. Two different people with different backgrounds, different life experiences, different personalities would become one, would pursue oneness together. Jesus envisioned a complementary relationship where two different people chose to become one together. And so if you're married, your purpose in your marriage relationship is the pursuit of oneness. Now, marriage is not oneness, and that's an important distinction. Marriage is the pursuit of oneness, because when you first get married, you're two different people. That's the whole point. Marriage is the pursuit of oneness as two different people. Marriage is not an event. It's a process. Marriage is not a destination. You know what I mean? Oneness is not a destination. It's a journey. And marriage is where you choose to become one together. But there's a myth out there. And it's the myth that I think complicates all dating relationships and marriage relationships. It's the myth that guides both of these relationships in our culture. You know what this myth is? It's the right person myth. And this is what the right person myth says. It says, if I can just find the right person, everything will be right. If I can just marry the right person, everything will be right. And the right person myth says that the key to good relationships and good marriages is finding the right person. Well, so how do you find the right person? Chemistry, right? You're attracted to the person physically. You like his personality. You like her sense of humor. And then the chemistry starts to develop. You can't wait to see, talk to, get a tweet from, have a FaceTime chat with, go out with, hold hands with, kiss, make a Facebook official, close down your Tinder account. Why? <laughs> Why? Because now I found the right person. And then what happens? You get married. And everything ain't right. Because relationships are complicated. And he's such a sports freak slob. And she's such a nagging germaphobe. And then there's all the conflict, man. Oh my gosh, get off my back. And then sometimes people hurt each other even when they don't mean to. And then what happens? The chemistry begins to suffer. So what do we do? Well, guys, guys think we need more sex. That's the answer. For guys, it's the answer to everything. It's like duct tape for relationships. <laughs> Come on. But then what happens? You have more sex and everything ain't right. And the wives think, oh, you, know, you know what would make things right? We need to have a baby. And of course, guys are like, yeah, baby, more sex. That's what I'm talking about. 
But let me ask you a question. Do you really think bringing another person into a rocky relationship is going to make it better? Especially when that other person poops their pants, cries all the time, and keeps you up at all hours of the night? I don't think so. And here's the worst part about the the right person myth. And it says that if your marriage is not going well, it's because you married the wrong person. And then what happens? I've married the wrong person. But then one day at work, one day at the gym, you look up and you see the right person. (laughs) And then the right person myth cycle starts all over again. Now I want everybody to hear me on this. The right person idea is a myth. There is no one right person that's going to make your relationships right. It's a myth. Now, there may be some wrong persons. In fact, I would suggest to you there are probably a lot of wrong persons. To me, that is a part of what's cool in our culture about the dating relationship is you get a chance to weed out the wrong persons. But... There is no one right person out there that's going to make your relationships right. Jesus never said anything. You read it. He never said anything about finding and marrying the right person. Jesus never said, here's the key to becoming one in marriage. You've got to find the right person. In fact, in Jesus' day, almost all marriages were arranged by parents. Sometimes you didn't even know the person you were marrying until your wedding day. Instead, in their culture, they did the work to become one. That's the key in the marriage relationship. And and so Jesus, despite the fact that all marriages were arranged in his day, he called people to pursue oneness in marriage like God intended. He pointed people back to the purpose of marriage and relationships. Well, the Pharisees didn't like any of this. You gotta remember, there's there's a crowd there, but then there's this conversation going on with the Pharisees. They didn't like his words. (coughs) And so they asked another question. And in and, and Jesus' response to this question, he surfaces the, one of the issues in our lives that hurts the pursuit of oneness. Are you ready? This is uh, Matthew 19, 7. <clears throat> why then, they asked, that's the Pharisees, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were what? Hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Okay, now, what's going on here? Technically, in the Jewish scriptures that guided the lives of the Israelites, God did permit for divorce. He did. But what Jesus is reminding everybody is that was never his intention. God permitted it because people's hearts would become hard, because they couldn't become one. They couldn't deal with their differences. They couldn't handle their conflict. But he said, that's not what God intended. Well, the the Pharisees did not like his response. (laughs) But Jesus called them back to God's purpose, to his intent. And did you notice, and this is what was fresh for me. I've studied this passage numerous times. Jesus said, what you think, and I hope you can see this. You think that the issue is the other person. You don't have the right person. That's why you want to divorce your spouse and go get another one. You think it's wrong. What does he say? He said, the issue is your hard hearts. And this is what happens, dating relationship, married relationship. When things get rocky, our 
our natural inclination is to think it's the other person. She's the wrong person. He is the wrong person. Well, how about you? And here's what Jesus is saying. The real issue in most cases is not the other person. It's you. It's your heart. If your heart is not right, your relationships won't be right. And so I want you to get that. This is my main point. The key in your relationships, the key in your marriage is not finding the right person. It's becoming the right person. You see the difference? The key is not for you to find the right person. It's for you to become the right person. It's for you to deal with your own heart and to choose to become the right kind of person that will make a relationship right. And so if you're single, I'm going to ask you, what kind of person are you looking for? What kind of person are you looking for? You have an idea in mind? Then become that kind of person. Become the kind of right person who'll do what it takes to pursue oneness with another human being who is different than you. And if you're married, I'm asking you to embrace God's purpose for your relationship. I'm asking you to become the right kind of person who facilitates oneness within your relationship. I'm asking you to have a vision in your heart and in your mind for oneness because oneness means us over I. Oneness means we over me. Oneness means togetherness over self. Oneness means nosotros over yo. That's right, this is San Antonio, baby. Oneness means getting your heart right so you become the right person that facilitates oneness in your relationships. Now, I want to tell you where we're going in this series for the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking some positive attitudes and actions that help facilitate oneness, because I think that's, a, that's an important thing. This, this week, though, I want to spend just a couple of minutes addressing the issue that Jesus saw in his day that was wrecking oneness, because Jesus, in essence, said that hard hearts is what wrecks oneness. So what makes our hearts hard? What's going on there? Well, Dr. John Gottman is a sociologist who studied 49 married couples in laboratory-like apartment complexes where he could see them and hear them, sort of creepy, for 16 years. Yeah, it's like Big Brother on steroids. <coughs> anyway, in his research, he got to where he could predict which relationships would make it with a 91% accuracy. And this is what he found. The key issue the key issue that would, that would mean that a relationship wouldn't make it is dysfunctional ways of handling conflict. And so what I want to talk with you about is conflict for just a few moments. Conflict is a normal part of every healthy relationship. In fact, please don't misunderstand me. I believe that conflict, healthy conflict, is the way two people become one. It's the way two people with differences work through their differences. And yeah, it's painful. Yeah, it takes work. Yeah, it takes commitment and love and all of that. But I think that healthy conflict is actually what makes us one, not less one. But this is what I've noticed in my 30 plus years as a pastor. There are two like broad categories of dysfunctional uh, conflict handling within the marriage relationship and really within dating relationships as well. They're, you ready for them? They're the avoiders and then there are the fighters. So the avoiders deal with conflict by not dealing with conflict. They just act like everything's okay when they know in their hearts it is not. The problem with avoiders is that conflict never gets surfaced 
and resolved. So they stuff their hurts, they stuff their feelings, they stuff their issues, and they become passive aggressive and depressed. In other words, their hearts become hard. Then the other extreme are the fighters. The fighters deal with conflict, but they deal with it in a destructive way. Fighters tend to be focused on winning, not oneness. And so fighters will use the power of their personality, of anger. They'll manipulate. They'll argue to get their way. The problem with fighters is that when fighters fight, nobody wins. It makes people's hearts hurt. Now, I know that different, you know, we all have a little bit of both, but most of us are either mostly fighters or mostly avoiders. In the last service, I asked, where are my avoiders? And nobody would raise their hand because avoiders don't raise their hand. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> and then when I asked where the fighters are, I'm like, yeah, man, I'm a fighter. <sighs> oh, people are complicated. Okay. Let me bring it all together. For you to become the right kind of person in your dating relationship and in your marriage relationship, you need to become a person who learns how to deal with conflict in a redemptive way, in a helpful way. And so I'm going to give you two rules of engagement that are very practical to help you do that. The first one is you do need to confront constructively when, when differences surface. Okay? And, and what I want to encourage you to do is when you confront, use revealing I statements instead of accusing you statements. So let me give you a couple of examples so you get the feel of what I'm talking about. Instead of saying things like, you make me so angry when, say something more like, you know, when you do this, it, it makes me feel angry and it's not good. See how it's different? I'm just now revealing something about what you did that impacted me. Instead of saying things like, you always criticize me, instead say something like, you know, when you say stuff like that, it really hurts me, and I don't think that's good for our relationship. Instead of saying something like, you never help with, fill in the blank, say something like, you know, I would really appreciate if you would consider helping me with, because that would really make me feel closer to you. See, see how the perspective changes? When you're revealing something about yourself instead of accusing the other person, you're going to lessen the tension. And, and so when I say construct, uh, confront constructively, for avoiders, my avoiders, the key word for you is confront. You, that is a part of becoming one. You do have to surface your differences. So you, you do have to step up and talk about things that hurt you. My fighters, the key word is the second word. Constructively, not destructively. You're not there to win. You're there to become one, okay? The second piece of advice I want to give you is to make amends quickly because in every healthy relationship, we're going to hurt each other. In fact, I think that's why in Jesus' prayer that he taught us, one of the prayers he said to pray is, Father, forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's just a part of being a human being. And so, what I'm encouraging you to do is to make amends quickly, meaning when you realize you've wronged either someone you're in a dating relationship, a significant other, or your spouse, admit it. Humble yourself and say, I was wrong. I hurt you. Please forgive me. And if your spouse or significant other asks for forgiveness, forgive and let it go. And you know what I found? 
It's not the absence of conflict or pain that makes couples one. It's the ability to work through painful events and seasons that actually make us more one. In fact, sociologists tell us the healthiest couples, the most one couples are not those who never have conflict. It's the ones who work through healthy cycles of conflict in a redemptive way. The key to your relationship is not finding the right person. It's not about two right people who find the right people. The key to your relationships is becoming a broken person who chooses to become broken together. Let me, let me see if I can picture what I'm talking about. Now, when I was in middle school back in the late 60s, early 70s, when things were really cool, uh, <laughs> I was a skateboarder back then. And so I was a skater before skater was even cool. And so I was riding my skateboard one day down a hill and I was doing the thing where I was trying to go really fast, so I was really down low, trying to build up as much speed as possible, and, uh, and I, I hit a rock, and it was just small enough and big enough to, to stick under my wheel, and so it flipped my board forward, and I flew off the board, and I rolled down the hill. I hit right on this shoulder, and it was a tension break, not a clean break, so it was the tension. It snapped, and so it broke into numerous pieces, and it was not great, and uh, so anyway, I... I went to my doctor, and, and I was really concerned because I was a tennis player, and I was like, this is going to ruin my career, ruin my time, man, this is going to ruin my life. And my doctor, you know how you are when you're in middle school, and my doctor said, he, he tried to sort of explain the healing process. And once he got my, my, um, my collarbone set with a brace, he told me, he said, look, there's actually a, a place in the healing process as your body begins to heal itself where the actual places of the break become stronger than the area around it. And then eventually, the two broken pieces, the three broken pieces become one. They become broken together. The key in your relationships, the key in your marriage, is not right people finding the right people. It's broken people choosing to be broken together. And that's my prayer for you. Let's pray together. And I want this prayer to be a very specific prayer that comes from your heart. And so I'm going to ask you, what is the area of your life that you want God to help you become more of the right person? So maybe this is a, a habit you have that you know is bad. Maybe it's a, an attitude that you know is not good. Maybe it's something that you've been neglecting that, that you sense God wanting you to start doing. I don't know what it is because this, this is between you and God. I want you to think of what that is, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer to ask for God's help in this area so that you can become more of the right person, whether you're single or married. You ready? Lord God, we do believe you have a purpose for our lives, and we believe you have a purpose for our relationships. And we're asking for your help. You said that you wanted to participate in our relationships with us. What a wonderful thing. And so, Lord, in your presence, I lift up this area of my life, and I ask for your help. Maybe you would just whisper it. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's anger. I don't know. What, what is it? And just say, God, please help me. And then, Lord God, I ask that you would do what your son said that you would do, which you would come be a part of our lives and that you would help us in the pursuit of oneness. Lord, we do believe in you. And God, we do believe in your purpose for our relationships and for our marriages. And so we ask for your help and for your blessing. In Jesus' name.